Please have your Bibles open to John chapter 4. John 4, appreciate Larry teaching class this morning, even John 7. We're going to notice some ideas from John chapter 4. We're going to focus on salvation. I don't have to tell you, we share this in common, of course, as followers of our Lord. Salvation is, is the greatest thought, and it's the greatest possession that one could ever have. The book of John describes salvation in a number of ways. As we get started, uh, by way of introduction, let's think about a couple of those ways. For example, in John 3, Jesus um, refers to salvation as a new birth. Uh, John 3, 3 through 5, his discussion with Nicodemus, whoever is born of water and the Spirit, uh, that person will be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And with related verses in the Bible, such as Ephesians 5 and 26, we learn uh, very clearly uh, what the Lord has in mind. Ephesians 5, 26 says the Lord uh, sanctifies the church and cleanses it through the washing of water and the Word. And so by listening to uh, the Spirit's instruction, which is the Word of God, we come to know what we must do about our sins. Part of that uh, obedience is in the waters of baptism. Okay. Uh, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And so again and again, illustrations and, and related material to the new birth is given us. And so Jesus describes salvation as a new birth, a new birth, a, a, a brand new start in life. And Jesus talks about salvation in John 10 and verse 10. He said, I am come that they may have life. And have that life more abundantly. Well, we know from other verses in the Bible that, that sin makes us dead spiritually. Separates us from God. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 really emphasizes being dead in our sins. Separated uh, from the Lord uh, himself. But Jesus in coming, and especially in providing his life and providing uh, the shed, his shed blood. And all that is uh, thought of and accomplished through the, the cross of our Lord Jesus, uh, through his coming, we can have life. We can have life. And Paul says in Romans 6, 3 and 4 that when we're baptized, we're raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus come that we may have life and have that more abundantly. So it's the greatest possession that we can think of. And then in John 4, verse 10, Jesus mentions salvation, relates it to a gift. He says to the woman of Samaria, if you knew the gift of God, you would, you would look to the one who is asking you for drink and he would give you living water. Living water. If you knew the gift of God. So, salvation is a gift from God and we receive it through our submission uh, to him. And so our question before us this morning then is we go back to John 4 in the first few verses. Is how can we make salvation known to other people? If it's the greatest possession and the greatest thought, then how can we help others participate in the greatest thought and the greatest possession there is? The salvation of our souls, the redemption from our sins. And we'll make three or four suggestions together this morning as we as we look at Jesus and as he comes 
into Samaria. The first suggestion is this. We must have a target. We must have a target. Looking at John 4 and verse 4, it says Jesus must need to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Jesus had the Samaritans on his mind. He wanted to go there. He probably had this particular lady at Jacob's well uh, on his mind. But he had a target in mind. And that, that is what we must do. If we're going to help someone know Scripture, then we've got to have some specific people, specific place in mind uh, to get that done. Jesus often targeted people. Like in, in John 1, 46, we've, he found Philip and began to t- explain to Philip who he was. And Philip went and got Nathaniel and brought him to him. In John 13, Jesus brought his disciples together as they observed the Passover, but for a very specific purpose to teach them about love and humility and the washing of uh, the feet. Going back to Luke 4 and 16, Jesus specifically went to his own hometown of Nazareth and went to the synagogue there in order to show them a salvation. In Luke chapter uh, 5, Jesus went to the home of Levi, uh, the tax collector, and and uh, was able to have a great impact upon uh, many of the associates of, of Levi. In Luke chapter 7 and 36, Jesus specifically targeted Simon the Pharisee and went in there and tried to help Simon overcome his pride and arrogance that he had picked up from the other uh, Pharisees and scribes of the region. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10 and 38, he specifically went to Mary and Martha's house uh, to teach uh, particularly Uh, Give Mary the opportunity to learn more and teach Martha the importance of what is most important in in life. And Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, Luke 19. Jesus often targeted people, and we've got to have a target in mind if we're going to share salvation with others. As someone has said, uh, somebody, somewhere, sometime, somehow doesn't really get the job done. We have the best intentions. We have the best hearts there are in the Lord's church. We have to take those hearts and then, and then specify, who am I going to help this week? And, and the Lord will help us uh, get that done. You know, the Bible uh, refers to the gospel as seed, Luke 8, 11 and 12. A seed has to have a particular place in order for it to get planted and to grow and to sprout. Whether it be in a pot or a bucket or whether it be in a garden spot, a seed needs a place. And so the gospel is, is a seed and it needs a specific place, some specific hearts uh, to be able to grow into and to, and to sprout. You say, well, how do, I, how do I do this? How do I specify uh, someone well, there are many examples. Uh, Acts chapter 10, you remember Cornelius knew that Peter was, was coming and that he was going to get to hear about salvation. So we read in Acts uh, 10, uh, 25, 26, that he gathered his near friends and, and his kinsmen, his, his folks and his family, and, and gathered them at his house to be able to hear. That's certainly uh, great advice. But here's what Jesus often did. I think we can still do this. He found people nobody else was willing to talk to, like the Samaritans. And he would go talk to them. And that's why people grew to love him in such a wonderful fashion, because they could see that he was truly through and through 
no matter where he was and who he was talking to, he was through and through the Son of God. He, he was pure in thought and pure in motive, and he wanted everybody to be saved. That's what God does. So that would be a great advice for us. Find some folks that nobody else wants to talk to and go talk to them about uh, the church. So first of all, we have to have a target. Secondly, tired people must work in a tireless way. Notice here in John 4, verse 6, Jesus is weary on his journey. His journey of teaching, his journey of doing good works, his, his journey of, of doing miracles in different places. Jesus becomes very weary and he needs a drink of water. And he's going to ask for a drink of water, but notice that he's just weary. Okay. And most of the spiritual work done in different communities is done by a few people. And those few people are very tired. But here's the message from Jesus, and that is tired people must continue to work in a very tireless way. We just cannot grow weary. Here are five reasons why we can't grow weary. Okay, Five reasons why. Number one, time is short and people are lost. No matter what else is going on in the world, that will never change. Time is short and people are lost. John 9 verse 4, Jesus says, We must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. That's just simple and it will always be that way. Number two, the Bible examples we have of followers of Jesus, people worked in tireless ways. I think about often, I think about Aquila and Priscilla together, the team they were as a husband and wife. We read about them in Acts 18, 1 through 3. We read about, we read about their spiritual work, but they were, they were not full-time preachers. They weren't full-time with the church. They had a tent-making business, but they had a very active life in teaching others the gospel and doing good works as well. These are tireless people who kept on doing good no matter what was facing them. And we know Jesus is an example of that. Of course, the Apostle Paul traveled thousands and thousands of, thousands of miles and was never going to stop working until time ended. <clears throat> Tired people must work in a tireless way. We have biblical examples of that. So number one, time is short and, and people are lost. And number two, we work tirelessly because we have the examples in the Bible of that. Number three, because heaven is the place to rest, not earth. We work in a tireless way because heaven is rest, not earth. Nowhere do we read that earth is to be a continual rest, but we do read about heaven. I love this passage in Hebrews 4 and verse 11. Let us, let us with diligence strive to enter into that rest, lest we also, like others, fall into same sort of disobedience. He's referring to those back in the wilderness times under the leadership of Moses who often would harden their hearts and not listen to God. And they were not able to enter into the rest. The rest in those days would be the, the promised land. But the idea for us that the apostles bringing out in the book of Hebrews is there's a rest waiting on us and we must give diligence to enter into that rest lest we fall away in the same sort of disobedience. Heaven's a place to rest, not earth. We sing that song, O land of rest, for thee I sigh. When will the moment come? 
when I shall lay my armor by and dwell in peace at home. We're not at home yet. We will not be at home until we get to heaven. It is the land of rest. And so that's why we must work in a tireless fashion. And number four, because we don't have a job, we have a calling. I wish I could get that across. I have just failed in this miserably over the years. We are together the church. We are the body of Christ. There are no employees here. We're all responding to a call of the gospel. It is the calling. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. We are called unto a holy calling. There's no such thing as ministry 8 to 5, ministry 12 uh, to 6, ministry 3 days a week. No such thing as that. We don't read about that in the Bible. It's a calling. It's a calling that's in our heart. And so we we work tirelessly because we can't help it. As as Peter and John would say in Acts 4, 19 and 20, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. We, We can't help but do what we do because it's a calling. It's not just some sort of job or something that we just do because it's a... It's a duty. It's a calling. It's a calling. If it does not reside in our heart, something is wrong. We are together as the body of Christ, a bunch of people who have been called, and we're partners in that calling. And we do our best together and individually to get the word out about how precious uh, this is. So we work tirelessly because it's not a job, it's a calling. And then reason number five is... We work tirelessly because of the promises of God. Galatians 6, verse 9, as you very well know, says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. That's not your words. It's not my words. Those, those are inspired words of God. We shall reap. We shall reap if we faint not. If we faint not. And so tired people must work tirelessly if salvation is going to be uh, enjoyed by other people. A third thing here from John chapter 4 is we've got to be willing to talk about the soul. We've got to be willing to talk about the soul. Jesus will ask this woman for a drink from Jacob's well. He's weary. Okay. But he will not stay on the uh, human level very long. He does start out at the human level, but... He closes somewhere else. Jesus opens his conversation and he closes his conversation. He opens his conversation at a human level. Give me a drink, please. But he closes it at the divine level, the holy level. Look down to John 4, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, he said, I that speak unto you, I am he. The one speaking unto you, I am he. She had just said, I've heard that the Messiah comes. I am the one, the one who's speaking to you, I am he. He closes it on the divine, the holy, high and holy level. Jesus does not stay with with the human level very long. Notice how quickly he takes the subject of drinking at this well and turns it into the gift of God and, and living water and you'll never thirst and this water becomes within you a well of water springing up unto eternal life. He's able to talk to her about about um, what God says about marriage and what God says about worship and, and on and on. He quickly gets into spiritual matters. But what do we do? 
What do we do? We've we got to be willing to talk about the soul. If we're desperate enough to do it, we'll find a way of doing it. It's easy enough to talk about things that everybody else talks about. For some reason, I kept being reminded as I was putting my thoughts together about an old uh, Randy Travis song. Randy Travis is, is older than I am. That's, that's the generation before me. I'm a lot younger than anything that Randy Travis would have ever composed. But there's an old song I've heard about that, um, where he says, um, My love for my woman is going to continue as long as um, old men talk about the weather and as long as old women talk about old men. Okay, That's a pretty long time. I mean, he was In that song, he would say, My love for my woman is going to last a long time. Well, we're good at talking about um, old men, and we're good about talking about the weather, but how good are we talking about the soul? And Jesus doesn't stay on the human level very long. He gets into the spiritual and the heavenly matters, and we've got to find a way to do that. And we have our strategies, you know, and we, we probably over, we, we are, we're too much into strategy. We just, we just got to get it done. If it's, if it's burning in our heart, then it will uh, get done. That's, that's where... Uh, that's where the real point is. But we have, we've had our strategies like you've got to, you know, build up a friendship. And, and so we just got to keep talking and make sure it's, that somebody thinks that we're real nice and, and that they know that we think that they're real nice. And, and we do this for years and years with someone. And then we, uh, here's what I want to know. How's that working out? Have we ever got, got around to talking to them about the church, about the soul, about, about heaven, about the fact that they're getting older, we're getting older, what's happening, what's going on, what's your purpose in life? How do you expect to, to meet death? How do you expect to meet old age? And so we've got to be willing to talk about the soul. And then we've got to, as Jesus does here, we've got to take it to a personal level. Our conversations must be on a personal level. Notice here in John 4 and verse 8 that the disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. And this gave Jesus the perfect opportunity to have a personal one-on-one study uh, with, this, with this lady. Salvation is a personal thing. Okay? We know very well that in obeying God, it's a, it's a personal decision. No one else can do that for us. Okay. And so it takes, it take, the, the fewer people involved, the, the more personal a Bible study is going to be. It's a very personal thing. When um, Peter gave the invitation there in Acts 2, he said, Repent ye and be baptized every one of you. Every single one of you. There's no, there's no group plan. It's a personal decision. And it also takes privacy to work out as one is coming to Christ, to work out what he needs or she needs to work out as they're coming to Christ. They've got to sort out what is true. There's so much that's not true in regard to religion and it's been spread about in our world. So people need time and personal time and they need someone close by. They don't need a whole group. They need a close someone that they can bounce questions off of and come to be able to sort out what is true and what is not true 
And then they need this personal private time to examine themselves and see where they're at in the plan of God. And then they'll be able to step in and make the adjustments in their life that they can make. But it takes some personal time. It's a personal thing. And Jesus knew this in regard to this lady. She had a lot of issues in her background. She needed to be able to sort those out. And that's what he's doing with her. I love, again, Aquila and Priscilla, Acts 18 and 26, where they took Apollos aside and explained to him the word of God, uh, the way of God more perfectly, okay, in a plainer way. Apollos was up there speaking. He, he was a very good speaker. He knew a lot about scripture, but only up to the history of John the Baptist. He just did not know anything else further than that. So they, no, there's no need of embarrassing anyone. Just take them aside, explain further what the truth is, and then let them make the application, and then we're all in a much better uh, situation. This personal uh, thought is also revealed in the conversion of the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch, as both as Philip and the eunuch studied one-on-one. And then the eunuch was able to work that out. What he had been reading from Isaiah, able to work that out and, and, and bring up the ideal himself. See, here is water. See, when, you, when you're on a personal level, you don't have to do a lot. You just, uh, just share the scripture. And the scripture is so plain that, that people will just, you know, just grasp it. What, what keeps me from being baptized? Not a thing in the world. Here we go. If you're willing to believe and repent, and you're ready. And so he took it on a personal level. We must do uh, the same. Let me mention a couple other things here in John 4, and we're going to bring our lesson to a close. We must realize that this gift of salvation rises above all doubt and strife. The gift of salvation rises above all doubt and strife. Notice here in John 4 and verse 9, the woman was completely taken aback that Jesus would ask a drink of her. You being a Jew, ask a drink of me. I'm a Samaritan. And then John fills in the explanation. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. We can, if we, if we were just doing a complete study of that, we could go to several passages that show the tremendous, intense conflict between some Jews and some Samaritans. But notice how Jesus responds. What's his next words? After she says that, look at verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God, he gives right to salvation. Salvation is the answer to everything. It is the answer to every problem. Salvation, coming to know salvation and sharing that salvation is the answer to every problem in the world. Salvation and getting to know salvation and sharing that salvation is the answer to any problem that arises in the church. You, you can say, well, give me the problem and I'll give you the answer. It is salvation and, and saving of souls. It rises above. And the reason is because the needs of the soul are universal. All have sinned and fallen short. Romans 3.23 Jesus, Hebrews 2 and verse 10, He died for every man, for every person. He tasted death for every man. Hebrews 2 verse 9. And we all have a short time on this earth. Hebrews 9.27, no matter who we are, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And so these are all universal needs. 
That's when salvation rises above. It's most important, more important than any of that. Okay. All right. And then finally, notice here from John 4, this about the gift of salvation. And that it is the most unique gift that there is. The most unique thought. Okay. Think about how easy it is for us to advertise the gospel. And I really don't like to use that word advertise. But it's just accommodative language. But just think about what we have in the gospel. It's the most important thing that there is. Okay. People in the world cannot get it anywhere else except with the Lord's church. They can't get this anywhere else. The price for this gift According to Romans 6.23, it's the free gift of God. And the benefits of it, can you, can you imagine any better benefits than, than salvation? So put that in advertising terms. Here is something that you absolutely got to have. You can't get it anywhere else. It is absolutely free. And then the benefits are out of this world. Now, when you say free... You're not eliminating obedience. We obey because of God and, and His supreme authority, just who He is. We obey because we love God. We obey because we have nowhere else to go but God. Okay. So salvation is still free. It's just not cheap. It's not cheap. Not everybody can be with God, but those who are willing to submit so if we realize that salvation is the most unique gift, if, if we realize that salvation is the answer to every conflict, if we can learn to talk about the soul and do that in a personal way, if we can continue to work in a tireless way, and if, if, if we can target just people and just keep working toward them, with them, then we also can not only enjoy salvation, but can help others to, to participate in it as well. And so as always, we extend the Lord's invitation this morning. We're so grateful to have that opportunity. Again, salvation, is there anything better? Can you think of anything, uh, anything that should fill a person's thoughts and minds in a greater way than the salvation of one's soul? If we can help any individual today together we can learn the truth together we can help each other go to heaven won't you please come right now as we stand together and as we sing